0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director at CFGI, and today we are digging a little bit deeper to understand the world of data privacy and security, and I am excited to welcome my guests, Jordan Fisher and Rebecca Rakoski, the Managing Partners at XPAN Law Group. Jordan, Rebecca, welcome to Behind the Numbers.
1: Thanks, Dave. Excited to be here. Well,
0: That's great to have you. Us. Uh, Rebecca, why don't you start off by telling the audience a little bit about who you are and then we'll uh, go to Jordan for the same thing.
2: Great, thanks. So, uh, my name is Rebecca Rakowski. I'm managing uh, partner, co managing partner at XPAN Law Group. Um, and I've been a practitioner for almost 20 years now, uh, focusing. She in doesn't fl- like to
1: admit to it sometimes. <laughs> no,
2: hate to admit to that, but you know. Uh, <laughs> I've been, uh, we practice exclusively in the area of data privacy and cybersecurity. Um, I am licensed to practice in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York, although our practice tends to take us all over the country doing federal work and uh, international uh, legal compliance with various laws and regulations uh, in the data privacy and cybersecurity space. So I'm really excited to be here with you today and discuss data privacy, which is our favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) Jordan, you? Do. Yeah, so
1: um, I mirror Rebecca since I am the co-managing partner of XPAN. Um, and like Rebecca said, we really delve into a wide variety of issues with technology, data privacy, cybersecurity, you know, insert buzzword that many uh, people are hearing, especially in the current environment, as we've all spun up these remote environments. Um, I'm also a professor of law at the Thomas R. Klein School of Law at Jacksonville University, where I get to really delve into some unique academic issues and sort of think about this from a different perspective. So not always the practical on the ground perspective and more stepping back and looking future forward on the sort of regulatory changes and research in that area so like rebecca said we are all about data privacy and cybersecurity, and very excited to be here to shed some light um on this area and i think answer some of those burning questions that so many people have around is my iPhone safe? Is my computer safe? What is going on in the world? I feel like every day it's different, so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, well, we're thrilled to have you. And for those who are watching, these two faces may look familiar to you because these two ladies are very active, uh, both in speaking and you probably have seen them on the news recently, but uh, we won't brag on their behalf. Let's just say that they're, they're pretty well known and experts in their field. So let's just jump right in, if you would, uh, if we could. I wanna start with this whole COVID environment, right? So we've been in a global pandemic for quite some time now. I think it's about nine months, maybe even a little bit longer. We all have COVID fatigue from the standpoint of, we, want, we long for normalcy. Um, but when we talk about data privacy, I'd be really curious to learn what you have learned and what you have seen as it pertains to this whole new normal that we're now living in. I'll kick that one to Rebecca.
2: So um, I think that you know, back in March when it felt like the world stopped turning on its axis, um, you know, everyone migrated to a remote environment. And as Jordan alluded to it when she was doing her introduction, um, you know, everyone was quick to spin up these environments. And I think that a lot of companies, and I, I think with the, uh, that we work with, and, and even just in the in that in the privacy and security area, a lot of companies are finding that this. Environment actually works well for them, um, and they're going to continue this regardless of COVID. So, COVID has impacted the way basically we have done everything in terms of business, um, and it has certainly affected the way we have to perceive the um, you know the data we are taking in, how we're storing it, who we're sharing it with. Um, it's just it, it really has affected significantly this area of the law and of our day to day practice, and so you know. It's, uh, you know, aside from the fact that we're holed up in our houses and it feels like a 100 years has passed, um, you know, we're, we're really experiencing a, a new revolution in terms of how we're going to be doing work uh, now and in the future.
0: Yeah. And and you- I think it's
2: really pushed the envelope, frankly. I mean, we were heading this direction, right? Let's be candid. I think
1: technology was becoming more influential on businesses. You know, businesses were struggling with how to take what used to be physical processes and move them into cloud environments, into technology. And then all of a sudden, conversations that were gonna take 12, 18, 24 months had to happen in a month. Um, and I think now sort of stepping back, right? We've been in this you know, you said nine months. Rebecca says, like, it feels like 100 years. We've aged well for 100 years. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think now that the, the goal now sitting here, you know, with the with, with knowing that we're going to be in this environment for a period of time is, OK, we did this very quickly. Right. We had to spin up these environments in a month to keep our business operational Now, let's take a step back and say we maybe can't have a 12-month conversation around security and privacy like we intended to, but we can certainly start to say, what did we do? Do we take security and privacy? Are we taking it? And if not, how can we change it? Because my guess is a lot of these business processes that went from physical in-world operations to now digital are going to stay that way or a component of them are going to stay that way. So we need to start having those conversations of more long-term solutions that include security and privacy.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about that is the goal here is not for organizations to just survive if they're the goal is for them to thrive. And so when you're taking security and privacy into account, you're really talking about, you know, an investment, um, not just in today, but in the future. Right. It's an ongoing process, security and privacy. And companies see return on investment when they invest in privacy and security, because it is. Um, uh, there it's not just protective measures. It allows you to use data in a way that you wouldn't necessarily have considered before. So um, people need to stop looking at this as a negative. There are actually a lot of positives that have come about because of this. And, um, you know, again, looking about thriving and not just surviving in this environment.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about life in the new normal down the road here. But I want to ask you about the, the idea of disaster recovery business interruption planning, if you will. And my sense is from talking with a lot of folks in the business community that while everybody seems to have an idea about what a business interruption plan consists of, it didn't necessarily envision a global pandemic and what the far-reaching impacts of that would be on their business. So if you're advising a client today about doing data privacy and security planning for as a part of their business interruption plan, what advice might you share, Jordan?
1: So I, I think I, I totally agree with you. None of us saw this coming. If you did see it coming, kudos to you, because I think you were in the minority. Um, and, you know, I, I think while we didn't see the, the scale of this coming, the concept that individuals would have to work not in the office and the idea of, um, you know, remote working and using technology to allow people to work more creatively and within sort of the schedules and the way that they want to, that is not new. And so I think when we, were, when we were looking at business recovery plans and disaster recovery plans, the idea that you might have employees that get sick and can't come into the office and you still need to operate as a business is something that you could have taken into consideration. And this is just a very large scale aspect of that. Um, but it's definitely there. And so I think having redundancy, I mean, that from our perspective is always a key aspect. So, yes, you have physical office space, but can I up that remote environment? Can I access it from multiple different locations? Because it is not, you're not always going to be able to get into the office. I mean, we could have a hurricane, right? We could have um, a lot of natural disasters that restrict our ability to get there. And that's nothing new, right? Having hurricane plans, earthquake plans, especially in certain regions of the world has definitely been something that's been within that disaster recovery. And so I think incorporating redundancy, testing those plans, talking with your employees, I cannot emphasize enough that creating this culture of embracing technology but in a secure and private manner is so key, and that's part of your disaster recovery plan. Because the last thing you want is for employees to go out and sort of start winging it on their own because then you don't know what services they're using, you don't know what technology they're using, et cetera. So sort of thinking through that, and I think, you know, going back to this is a good time now to step back and say, does our disaster recovery plan address this sufficiently does this? Do we need a new plan? Do we need to rethink the way that our business is going to maintain its viability during various different shifts and transitions in our world? Um, you know, I don't. I think you can't fault a company for not having planned for the extent of this, but I think you can fault a company for not taking the time now to think about how to better prepare itself for something like this or something impacting its systems at a like broad scale going forward.
0: It's a good yeah. time
2: for some self-reflection.
1: Yeah, I think mean, for all of us and everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Rebecca, with many companies now announcing that they're making uh, a work from home a scenario for their employees, either optional or let, let's just do this for everybody, forget about optionality. Um, what should business owners and business leaders be thinking about in that era of new normal? How can we be strategic on our data security?
2: So the first thing I would say is to look and see, again, going back to what you know, Jordan and I are kind of um, uh, driving towards, I think, here is going back and looking and see what your policies and procedures are are going to be important. They're going to be different now. Right. They're not going to be the same as when th- if, uh, most of them are going to change from what they were when you were in a brick and mortar situation. Um, but then part of it is just using different communication channels and how are we going to really thinking about the processes and how those processes can be done when you're not all sitting in the same location and that's really important and then matching those processes to good policies and procedures that take into consider privacy or take into consideration privacy and security because remember you know now you're going to be transmitting information electronically well that is inherently insecure and you are potentially transmitting that highly sensitive information electronically. So how can we do that in a in a better way, in a more efficient way, and in a more secure way that takes into account these privacy and security laws that we have uh, right now on the books and the ones that we see coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah. And I think you also need to keep, take into consideration that now we're in people's homes. So there's privacy considerations with, you know, if you're going to require your employees to be monitored by video, what if their kid walks behind them? you know, that's their child's privacy. If you're going to not give them um, devices and require them to use their own devices, well, now their kids might be using that to go to school because a lot of children are remotely learning. And so you can't control that environment and you can't have visibility into all of those things on that computer because there's personal aspects. So employee privacy, I think is something that we're really going to see have to have a shift and a balance and a new understanding because it used to be employee privacy when they physically walked into the office, they were logging into the devices that you own. That is not necessarily the case anymore. And that changes the dynamic between the employer and the employee. And like Rebecca said, you need to be thinking about how do we affirmatively sort of set those guidelines and those parameters with our employees in a way that's transparent and makes them feel comfortable, but also protects the business. And that's going to take a shift in perspective, a shift in documentation, and sort of a shift in your resources and the technology that you're using
2: which includes updating your employee privacy notices to provide that transparency. That's like probably first or second on the
0: list. (laughs) Yeah, great insight and a very subtle distinction that maybe uh, a lot of folks didn't actually consider about the the kids maybe using the same device that the parents are using for their work-related businesses. Jordan, for the folks who are in the audience and want to learn more about how they can work with you or get some more great insights, how can they contact you?
1: So the best way to reach out to us is via our website, which is www.xpanlawgroup.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Both Rebecca and I try to push out valuable information. We also have a Twitter account at Xpan Law. We have a blog where we try to provide really valuable information so you can understand the key trends and where things are changing. So I would highly suggest you take a look at that. Um, and then you can reach out to us through that website.
0: Great, thank you. And that's uh, a good spot to take a quick commercial break here. So uh, for you folks watching and listening, don't go anywhere. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers.
2: As a premier integrated health provider in New Jersey, Ascenda provides individual and family-focused services, comprehensive mental and behavioral health care, and advanced treatments to those entrusted in our care. By bringing together our bright teams, innovative services, and understanding caring hearts, we as an organization are moving upward to move lives forward. Ascenda, where lives move forward.
0: Hey, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about data privacy and security with Rebecca Rakoski and Jordan Fisher from Expan Law Group. Uh, great conversation in the first segment, uh, folks. i want to ask you about your law firm, which is kind of a unique one. You've always been virtual, and mm-hmm. now the rest of the world is learning to adapt to what you guys have already done from day one. So what lessons have you learned, literally from inception, about how to communicate in a all virtual environment, you know
1: it's it's funny because um, I don't think Rebecca and I thought we would be creating the, the the business structure of the future necessarily when we decided to go virtual. Um, but the number one takeaway that I have from creating a virtual law firm is you need to create so many channels for communication. I think that is the biggest challenge you have because you can't just walk out of your office and see. I can't look at the is Rebecca in the office today. Or is Rebecca, can I I walk in there and chat with Rebecca about about a matter? And you need to create those opportunities. And you need to use technology, frankly, to do so. So things like video chats. You know, we as a team always have been using video chats. It's quite funny because so many people say, oh, this video chatting thing is so new. And Rebecca and I have been video (laughs) chatting for years because seeing Rebecca's face, being able to see our team's expressions, be able to have that that digital way of connecting is really valuable. Um, and then I also think we use technologies like Slack to communicate, to allow for that more instantaneous communication to see when teams are on. Um, I think that <laughs> Rebecca and I are in thinking about our calendars. And that's because if I need to see if I can talk to Rebecca or someone else on our team, I need their calendar is the only way I know. Because again, I can't just walk over and say, "Is pop my head in and say, is Rebecca there? Is she on the phone? Is she not on the phone, et cetera? So I need other mechanisms to do that. So from my perspective, I think the biggest challenge, and I've seen a lot of companies struggle with this as they had to so quickly move to remote is that communication aspect and creating the, you, you can never over communicate in a virtual work environment because you're always having, I mean, just the initial touch point, Hey, are you up? Are you doing work right now? Or are you not? Um, that alone is going to be something you have to over communicate um, from my perspective, but I'm sure Rebecca might have a different perspective from the virtual aspect as well.
2: <laughs> well, it's funny because I had worked in a brick and mortar, you know, large regional law firm for a long time before I, you know, we started x And um, so I think the adjustment was a little bit harder or different for me. Um, so I sympathize and um, with with the people who had to experience this. But I do agree that, you know, the whole point here is to have uh, a high level of communication and to just be highly organized, um, to have those structures in place. Um, you know, we're a privacy and security firm. So right from day one, we had policies, procedures. We document everything. Everything is just very highly organized. Um, organized and and we have systems for everything and that was a real key to us being able to be uh virtual and be able to pivot quickly and be adaptable to what our clients needed us for um and i think it's really served us well um yeah when when the lights went off so to speak on march 13th we we didn't skip a beat we just kept on keeping on we were moving like we always had and doing work the way we had always done and so um it was a little drawing for us to look around and go, oh, is this new for you guys? Oh, yeah, no problem. So um, a lot of calls from clients going, how do you guys do this again? And, um, you know, but, you know, we're, we love the fact that, that we were able to be that resource.
0: Talk- it's funny.
1: We always talk about we're, we're deprogramming Rebecca from the traditional law firm <laughs> environment. And that she's we're deprogramming that. So I think a lot of people have gone through some deprogramming from some traditional workplaces. And I think. It's also being kind to yourself. This is new for everybody. Um, And if you weren't already virtual,
2: embrace it, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Cut yourself a break.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And when you talk about deprogramming, that's a really good segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is maintaining a culture or even creating a culture in this new remote workspace. And what I've seen is a lot of folks who, you know, they were suddenly forced now to obviously send their employees to work from home, where Maybe their initial instinct is, well, if they're working from home, I can't watch them and I don't know if they're really productive, which you alluded to. Um, But from the employee perspective, what I'm also seeing and feeling is that uh, there's a subtle shift that's happening now since there's so much time that's that's elapsed that initially we were working from home. And a lot of times now it feels like we're living at work. And it's a subtle shift, but it feels like we're always on. So how do you establish and maintain a culture? Jordan, I'll kick that one to you first.
1: Yeah. And so I think part of it is being vicious with yourself on boundaries. You know, it's so easy after dinner to just like drag that laptop onto the couch, pop it open and say, oh, I'll just really quickly respond to the 5,000 emails that I've received in that two period, of, like it, it, over dinner. Um, and it's really setting boundaries. And I think that goes two ways. So it's the employee stepping up and saying, I need this boundary. I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to read a book, you know, whatever it is, right? Like everybody's got their own thing that they can do on their own time. But it's also people who are managing those employees, respecting that that time. Um, And I, I totally agree with you. I mean, so many people I talk to and frankly, even ourselves, you know, when you're at home all day, there is no separation from work and from or personal etc um you know one of the techniques i use that i'm fortunate enough to have this is i have my own office space so i leave the office space and i leave my laptop in there i try to leave my work phone in there because guess what it stays there i close the door and now i'm home um and so if you can create sort of even those physical separations even if it's a corner of your room i find that to be really helpful um and then it's being honest with yourself i think sometimes we just we get this you get into this like almost this this the, the hamster cage. of like, I have to just keep working, 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 um, force yourself outside. You know, in the beginning of this, um, I speak French and I started taking a French literature class strictly so that I had to get off of work and go to my class. That was digital, but I had to make that separation. So sometimes if you're not good at it, force yourself to do it by scheduling things that are non-work related to make that break. I think that's been very helpful for me personally.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it's a little easier to have that break when you've got children because they mm-hmm. tend to force the break upon you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I agree. I mean, I have a I don't have a designated office space. I have a designated area in my house. Um, and when I'm there, um, I try to, you know, work and focus on what i'm doing and not meld the two but you know it is hard and it's a struggle and i i I think we're all struggling with it i certainly feel like i've been staring at the same area for a hundred years so um you know but you know taking walks and and getting a little you know fresh air has has for me been the salvation i joke that i i walk more now than i ever have in my whole life (laughs) but you know it's important to have and to have that separation i agree
0: Jordan, and for, it's a,
2: like I said, it's a two-way street, right? You have to. Have, if someone pushes back and says, "I'm not going to
1: do that because I'm going to take lunch," respect that, because then when you push back, they're going to respect you pushing back. So yeah. I think it's just it's just having that dialogue, and again, communication.
0: Mm-hmm. And Jordan, what's the best way for folks to contact you if they want to learn more about all the topics we're discussing here?
1: So you can reach out to us via our website, which is www.xpanlawgroup.com. We are also on LinkedIn, both of us personally, as well as um, XPAN Law Group. We also have a Twitter account at XPAN Law. We put out a lot of information from our blog. Rebecca and I always try to keep the community up to date with what's going on. And we encourage you to reach out, ask us questions. We also have a video chat that we do every week where we talk about sort of those trends and everything. And so we're always looking for topics. So reach out and ask us questions and we'll try to get them answered
0: great, thank you. We have about three minutes to go, I would say, in the segment. And I want to touch on something that, Jordan, you mentioned in the opening when you, said, when you jokingly said, is my iPhone safe? So <laughs> I, I want to talk about mobile devices. Uh, it could be iPhone anything else. But, and I'm going to let each of you decide which way you want to take the question. But we're using mobile devices day to day, now in the context of our everyday business use as well, because a lot of us are dialing into Zoom, uh, maybe from our cell phones. What are the things that we should all know about our mobile devices in this uh, now new normal environment? I'm going to kick it to Rebecca first.
2: So I think one of the first things you want to do is to make your mobile device as secure as possible. So make sure that you're, you know, you're not you know, using public Wi-Fi and you know, even on mobile devices. Now, a lot of mobile devices, um, if they're being administered by uh, an IT department or something, um, or, or something we call sandbox. Um, so you ha- you run a- less of a risk of uh, on necessarily on those mobile devices uh, because of the nature of the way that the of a IT infrastructure is created. However, that doesn't necessarily make them immune. And I would by no means recommend being on public Wi-Fi ever. Ever. Right. Um, but um, one of, so that's one thing you can consider. The other thing is, especially when you're working at home, um, I like to create a segmented network. So you can do that. Um, you can create segmented networks within your own Wi-Fi. So your your work device and things are separated from the, what the kids are doing and things like that. I mean, hackers know that your kids are home and they know that you're probably all on the same Wi-Fi. And so if they can entice your child to click on a bad link or to, to download something on their device, they know that it's much easier than to get to the corporate devices that are all on the same system. So um, that's uh, another thing you can really do to make sure that that you're you're uh, more secure at home than than you know that you normally would be since we're all working from home.
1: And I think along those lines too, the applications you download, understand the permissions that those applications have. I think geolocation is a huge aspect right now because so many applications are trying to maximize the value of what they're collecting on you. Your location data is very valuable in that sense. And I don't mean that's in a malicious way. They might be doing it to just literally advertise a product to you.
2: But Although it could be in a that. malicious way.
1: Right, it could be a <laughs> malicious, way. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna negate that. But um, you know, be a thoughtful consumer of applications because just because it might look innocuous, you know, it, it might be accessing your contacts, it might be accessing your photos and you wanna understand what those applications are doing before you download them and start using them. I mean, trust me, I get it. When I'm downloading something, the last thing I wanna do on a tiny mobile device is read a 50-page privacy notice that was written by a lawyer.
0: And you're the only um, one who's probably reading those things, by the way. Yeah,
1: um, but it's really important because more and more applications are trying to maximize the data that they collect on you as well as providing the service you know, of the application. So just be a a thoughtful consumer. You know, do you really want this app to have access to your contacts, your geolocation, your photos? Because your photos of your kids are very valuable to both you and potentially a nefarious actor. So that would be my number one thing, you know, treat your mobile device um, very preciously and be very thoughtful before you download anything onto it.
2: Yeah. And and a lot of those applications, like if you need to have geolocation on for the functionality of the app, Mm -hmm. you can ensure that the only time that the geolocation is turned on is when you're actively using the application. So that's another good tip. Like, don't just let it run roughshod all over all the time. Right. Only have it turned on when you actually need it to be on for the use of the application. If it, And I hate geolocation, but, um, but if you're going to use it because you need it for the functionality, make sure it's only active when, when your app is active.
0: That's great, It also thank saves you. your
1: precious battery life. Jordan,
0: Rebecca, we're out of time, unfortunately, but thank you both for joining us on Behind the Numbers. It was great chatting with you both.
1: Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks
0: so much. Yeah, we've been talking about data privacy and security today with Jordan Fisher and Rebecca Burkoski from Xpan Law Group, and they've told you how you can contact them. My name is Dave Bookbinder. If you'd like to learn more about me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And thank you so much for subscribing, viewing, listening. Really appreciate your support of the program. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.